You're listening to The B-Side, a podcast of Blessed Hope Community Church. Hey, this is Malia, your host as usual, and today I am joined by Pastor Matt and Pastor David. Hello. Hello. How are we both today? Wonderful. I'm pretty good. I mean, it's a beautiful day. I don't know if it's a beautiful day, but but I'm still the pretty good. The sun's not out, so I mean, if it was raining, it would if it was be raining, even more it'd be like beautiful. A perfect day. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Yesterday was nice. It was a little kind of an actual fall day. We got some decent weather, so yeah, I, can, was, I can vicariously enjoy that today while I'm inside. I was put up Christmas uh, inflatables yesterday. Is that what you did? Oh. Because yeah. yesterday, I actually cleaned up my... Well, if you look at my yard, it still needs cleaning. But I cut back all of my bushes and pulled out hostas and did all of that. Um, so Is that why you ignored my text yesterday? Because you were busy putting up your inflatables? Um, <laughs> no. Well, yes, I was busy. But also, when you sent it, I went into, okay, let's think about this. What are oh. three prayers? I was like, no, just tell me. And then the rest, of, I got busy. And then we had elder meeting. And yeah, it's all right. No, we got it. Covered. We came up with our own. Yes, I heard that after I sent her some. After I thought, after I prayerfully thought about it. <laughs> well, I mean, we figured you just knew. So we are diving into chapter five today. Yeah, we are. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember the Sunday before this one. We talked about. That was the week, you know, that Paul starts off that discourse by saying, hey, I want you to be imitators of Jesus. Um, Like in all of these things that we've talked about and all of the ways that we're supposed to move forward in this new life, he kind of sums it up by saying, so here's what you do. Go do what Jesus does. Um, And if you can do what Jesus does, then you can be, or at least try to live like Jesus lives, then you can be confident that you're walking in this correct way. Um, but as we've discussed time and time again, the only way for us to be like Jesus and to grow to be more and more like Jesus is if the Holy Spirit is doing a holy work in us. Otherwise, we're just striving on our own and it never works. Yeah, that was good. Uh, as I'm looking, I, as I'm just kind of looking over, you know, the first couple of verses of the, the chapter are, I go back to something I said when I preached um, the last time in, in Ephesians where... You know, you hear those words, those just those four words, be imitators of God. And it just, it's so, when you first see it, it's so overwhelming. Um, that's what I always loved about, you know, you guys can see it, but, you know, you got that big five. It's always like this, like a headline, like pay attention to this. Every time I look at my Bible and I see it, it says that right after this big five, be imitators of God. And, you know, you look at the first two verses, it goes back to everything we've been saying um, throughout Ephesians in its entirety is I'm not going to focus on the be imitators of God as much as I'm going to focus on that's only possible because I'm a dearly loved child and Christ loved us and gave himself up for me. And, you know, that fragrant offering and sacrifice. I just, I just love again how we focus on our responsibility, but that's only four words of these two verses where Paul's saying, do this, but you're doing it because of your identity, because of what God done and what Christ has done for you because of the work that Christ has done. So again, as I've grown, I, I, I've always been overwhelmed by that. I can't be an imitator of God. Well, I can't, but I can, because of, as you said, the work that the Holy spirit does in me because of the work that Christ has done. So 
that's always been that encouragement as I've grown in my faith is don't focus on my limitations. You, you know, you focus on what Christ has done. So that's what I appreciate about that. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think, again, um, anytime we can understand faith as a or understand the Christian life as a response to God's graciousness, as opposed to um, a way to earn God's graciousness, that's a good way for us to do right. Too many times um, throughout history religion has been turned into this, if you perform for God, he will accept you. Um, and then even though we know better, that kind of happens deep down in our soul, right? Like if we have to perform, then God will say, hey, you're good enough. But the reality is God said, I love you, I pick you, I choose you, I, 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 I um, sent my son for you, I do all of these things for you. And, and then as a response then, now I can live this life. Not because I have to do it to make God like me, but because God already did all this for me, now I can I can do this. And it's just a it's just a a mind shift in how we view it, right? One is burdensome and draining and exhausting, and the other is life giving and freeing. But from the outside, they don't look all that different, right? But but religion based faith is difficult in that it's it, it's all based on what I do and if I do it well God will will give me his favor mm-hmm. and that's I mean like David said that's a tall order who can possibly do that mm-hmm. um, but the other way around is freeing man it's like I get to be new because of this thing and so now I can walk this way because God has lavished such love on me and what what right response do I have besides pour myself out for him you know not because I want him to accept me but because he has and it's just it's a subtle shift that makes all the difference in the world in the longevity and joy of our faith um question yeah verse 6 let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Mm-hmm. So in this context, um, what does uh, let no one deceive you with empty words, what does that mean? I think that's people that tell you that sin is okay, mm. right? Because the context is he's like sexual morality, impurity, covetousness. Um, filthy talk, foolish talk, crude joking, they're out of place, right? They don't belong in somebody that has been made new by Jesus. So if you've been made new by Jesus, that's not part of you. Mm -hmm. So if you're acting that way, if you're continuing for those things to pour forth from your heart, that's not good. And that's not a, I mean, you have no reason to be confident in your salvation and don't let anybody tell you that you're going to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of talked about this at our special podcast a little bit, you know, this this idea of um, perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, are you once saved, always saved? Can you choose to walk away from your salvation? And and either way, right, no matter where you land on that, I think the idea here is if you're if you're continuing to wantonly engage in this sinful life and sinful behavior. You're doing it with your eyes wide open and you know, don't let anybody convince you that you're okay, mm-hmm. right? Whether you've walked away from your salvation or whether it was never real for you in the first place, that's neither here nor there. The idea is 
you have no reason to be confident. And there are all kinds of teachers that will tell you that that's okay, right? You're just, you're just being you. You're just being true to yourself. You're just living your, your best life. You're just doing all of this stuff. I'm like silently gagging. Yeah. Well, that's because it's gag worthy. (laughs) But when, you know, Paul saying, I, I I think at the time there were plenty of teachers in emphasis and, and in that part of the world that would have gladly said, Hey, your physical body is immaterial, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's funny. Your physical body isn't immaterial, but Mm -hmm. what I mean is your physical body doesn't matter. What you do in the physical body is immaterial because the real important stuff is in your soul, in your spirit. And so there was a, there was a, a form of Gnosticism that said you can do whatever you want and that won't really corrupt you because what's inside is what matters. And I think what Paul is saying is, no, 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 time out. Like, don't be fooled by those people, right? God's wrath is going to come on people that wantonly sin. There is no way to separate inside and outside. What's outside comes from the inside. And so I think there's this, this clear line that he's drawing in the sand. As you, as you were answering that, Matt, I actually put kind of a note in my own Bible, uh, you know, this idea of let no one deceive you with empty words. It made me go back to what he started you know, this kind of laying out in verse 17 of no longer living as the Gentiles do. Um, of chapter four. Of chapter four. It, it went it went to the, the mindset I approached that with in my own thinking of the illustration I gave when I preached on that passage of, um, you know, the way I called it is, you know, having that, that funny money of, of like, God has changed the game. We're not, you know, this idea that, that Monopoly money is only good when I'm playing the game of Monopoly. But if I try to use that in the real world, it has no value and no worth. And, and so I go back to that, that, you know, again, don't be deceived. It's basically like either God has completely changed the game for you or he hasn't. And the deception is to try to live that you're playing by the rules of the old game and, and thinking it's going to work. And, and I think that's what a lot of Christians do, you know, not just with sin, just in the way we view life. And it's don't be deceived into that. Like, oh, yeah, this makes total sense because this is what I'm used to. It's like, no, God changed the game. You're not in that yeah. game anymore. Yeah. This has no value and worth. And if you're new, you're new. If you're, if, so that's what I think about, with, again, with the let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't fall back into this, this old way of thinking and this old way of, of living. And again, it's behavior based. Don't get me wrong, a lot of behaviors are being talked about here. But again, it speaks to the power of, of thought. It speaks to the power of belief. You know, right? Let no one deceive you with empty words. That's that's thinking. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a thought process thing. And as Christians we do a, a, I feel like we do a very bad job of, of tackling our inner thoughts and beliefs that motivate our behavior. We focus so much on behavior but we don't focus on what's prompting said behavior um and we do we need to do a better job of that because that takes more work takes more effort takes more humility um but that that again is it's tying to that thought process don't be deceived by thought Mm -hmm. and 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 belief and strongholds of the mind um which has come up quite a bit in the last few months so yeah i I think it's that makes perfect sense to me right and i think it's tied to a couple of things there too right like like let no one deceive you. I mean, this this would go to say that there is there are people that are actively trying to tell you that 
those things are okay and that that way of living is right or this this mode um is is appropriate but he he takes it a step further right like like don't let people deceive you there because boy you're gonna miss the goodness of god that's true but he takes it a step further i mean this this carries significant weight when he goes out of his way to say um for because of these things the wrath of god comes on the sons of disobedience like so so not only is he suggesting like you might be missing out on some of the goodness that god has for you in this life he's also saying and you're opening yourself up to the wrath of god Mm -hmm. like the the and, and wrath of god goes past discipline of god I think we, we can all agree, like, you know, that, that there's a difference between discipline, which is discipline from a loving father. We read in Hebrews that God disciplines those he loves, um, you know, and it's for our own benefit and it's not great at the time, but later we can appreciate it because we see how it helped us. Um, and this is like, like basically saying, like, if we ignore God's discipline in these ways, we're opening ourselves up as a son of disobedience to the wrath of God, which is um, basically the punishment that's due sin. Mm-hmm. Um, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that it doesn't have to be poured out on us. But if we're not going to accept Jesus, um, accept that sacrifice and choose to follow... Every time. The phone, yeah. <laughs> um, but if we're not going to choose to follow him, then that wrath has to be paid. Mm-hmm. And we're choosing to take it on ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if we move on a little farther down um, in that paragraph to like 11, 12, 13, it talks a lot about, you know, things like sin being done in secret and um, things like darkness and light. Um, and I know this is something we talk a lot about, confession of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so why is it important that sin be made visible? I think it's important that sin is made visible because it does a couple of things, right? When sin is made visible, first of all, it robs it of its, not its main thrust, right? Because sin is still pleasurable, right? And it still draws us in and traps us. Yeah, don't you always say if you're not having fun? No, that's that's what not me. That? Yeah, but that what is, is that? a That's a Craig Rochelle. He says, okay. if sin ain't fun, you ain't doing it right. Um, <laughs> right, because because why would anybody engage in sin that drags them down. I mean, sin always drags us down eventually, but it looks appealing sure. and, and and there is a draw to it. That's why it's so popular because mm-hmm. um, it meets a need. Uh, but, but in this instance, I think for Christians that are trying not to live that life, when we sin, Satan's one of his best tools is shame. And, and it's the no one will understand. And I can't believe you did that. You're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're, you're disgusting. And, and so it's this idea that, that, boy, if anybody ever found out, you'd be ruined. Mm-hmm. And something powerful happens yeah. when I can say to David, look, David, this is a sin I'm struggling with, right? This is, I don't know where this came from, but man, next thing you know, I was, this is how I was acting and this is how I was responding and it was sinful and I just want you to know because I want you to help me with this. That takes away, right? It takes away all of the the shame and secrecy of it all. And And now, assuming David has a godly response to me, right? Then we can have dialogue and he can encourage me and he can pray for me and he can admonish me when necessary and he can help me move forward. So confession and sharing those things, it really does take away a lot of Satan's leverage, 
with our sin. Mm -hmm. Um, And David can remind me, he's like, yeah, you know what? God loves you so much regardless of that sin. That doesn't change the way he feels about you. Jesus died for that. So let's be free of it. And uh, as opposed to me sitting by myself and thinking, oh, man, what if everybody knew? And and does God still like me? And I, you know, what, what happens if, and, and it just, we spiral and, and, and that's well, and people start questioning yeah. salvation. And I mean, it, the spiral goes yeah down hard and fast. It does. And so I think that's why James says, confess your sins to one another, not because I need, and I, I use David as, as, as my pastor, right? So not because I need my pastor to absolve me of sin, mm-hmm. right? That's not his job. His job isn't to tell me that if I do certain things, Jesus will forgive me. His job is to remind me, man, you are free, free, forever we're free, right? Like, I mean, it's this whole thing, mm-hmm. um, and, and he reminds me of that truth, and then he helps me to walk in it, and he encourages me and prays for me, and like, like that just adds a whole new element, and it undercuts Satan mm-hmm. and what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the roadblock with that is, you alluded to it, is the, if I have a godly response. Yeah, well, I trust um, you, brother. Well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because that's... I, I know in my experiences, there has not been a large number of Christians that I would say did well at having godly responses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the responses aren't always the how dare yous or anything like that. Sometimes it's... I've, I've had moments of confession where they almost treat it like, you know, they... Oh, okay. And then... It, okay, it, just nothing else is yeah. like I'm saying this because mm-hmm. I'm legitimately asking for, you know, assistance or help or prayer or whatever, and it's kind of treated. I just bore my soul to you, and and mm-hmm. there's like, okay, like what's for lunch? You know, it's kind of like that mentality. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, maybe they were you just know? really hungry. They might have been. <laughs> um, I mean, was it at the end of the sermon? <laughs> oh <yeah>. wow. <laughs> Pizza Ranch was open. Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, but I I say that because as we that as never we, gets old. As we look at this, um, I think one of the reasons that gets in the way of me having a godly response to someone that confesses to me mm-hmm. is I'm not tender in my own confession for what I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it, I think if we got really honest with ourselves, sometimes when people do confess with us, we latch onto it because it makes us feel better in our own shame because like, oh man, they're messed up. You know, it's like sure. we almost like it. It's like, oh, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Like, you know, because I'm carrying the secret thing in my life and now I hear you're, so we almost kind of rejoice <laughs> in, sure. oh, you're not as perfect as I thought you were. And, and sometimes I think that allows us to, or mm-hmm. sometimes we could be judgmental towards others that confess to us because it's easy to judge sin in someone else if it hits close to mine. Right. And, and so again, I think that's something we always have to be tender about. Well, is I think sometimes how we we're harder on ourselves than oh, we yeah. are on other people. Yeah. Too. Well, that's, and I, I, I mean, would that's, say that. That's, that's how I'm wired, like yeah. constantly. Like it's. And that's why you know. I would say I can be, yeah, like. I know in my life there's been times I've been hard on a person that I see that sin in them, mm-hmm. not because of them. It's because it's actually kind of coming back to me, but it's sure. I'm not directing it towards me. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. an it's a frustration and anger towards me, but it's directed towards them. Mm-hmm. I know there's been moments in my life where yeah. I've had that. Absolutely. So you know it's interesting. Like 
I have a, kind of the, the opposite, also sinful <laughs> um, um, thing where when somebody wants to confess a sin to me, I, I go into like gracious mode, right? Like, yeah, I want to hear and I want to encourage mm-hmm. you and I want to, uh, you know, I'm for you and, and, and I want to walk through this with you. And I've gotten better at that over the course of my life, right? Because it used to be really awkward. How do I handle these? And, you know, as I've matured, um, I've been better at that. So in those moments where somebody is bearing themselves, I tend to be gentle and yeah. gracious and tender hearted and same, <laughs> but that's not necessarily my normal spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. So I almost mm-hmm. thrive in those situations because then I, I can be ready. Like I'm yeah. ready for it. Otherwise I have kind of a sharp tongue. I do. I, <laughs> that, that's general. me. That's me too. So, the yeah, problem, isn't that weird? It, it is weird, but, but it also, it, it's problematic, right? Because mm-hmm. what that means is that that time when I can be tender hearted and open and gentle and gracious, and I can, I can, be the words of of Christ for somebody that needs that needs that encouragement, exhortation, admonishment, whatever. I don't get the chance because my regular posture of a little bit more sarcastic, a little bit more um, sharp tongued, sure. um, it causes people to think, "I'm not sure I'm going to trust him with right. that." Sure. And and so that is something I've always like like I've that's always been a thing for me and I've been working on it and continue to work on it mm-hmm. because I really do think that in those moments, God is giving me this ability to be like, okay, like, let me, let me be this response for you in, in a good way. But too many times I get in my own way and people won't even come because of how I can be normally. Sure. No, I get that. Um, I get that. Well, you would, cause you're the recipient of the sharpness <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> right. I think, well, the- the people that I, were the people that right were back, so. the people that we're around more frequently, <laughs> yes. right? They get more of that from yeah. us, and um, and so I think that just is the way it goes. We think, oh, they oh, they know how I am, right? It's fine, They're and good, we're, you know, and we're gracious with each yeah. other, right? Yeah. But that's that's part of the deal. Yes, absolutely. So, um, David, so as Christians, how um, we have this command to be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? First thought is you got to be willing to be emptied of everything else. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I mean, um, it sounds very simplistic, but at the same time, it's like, well, then how do I do that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, as someone that's still trying to figure that out, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, I got that one nailed down. <laughs> um, but it comes down to I, if I'm full of everything else, um, you know, I kind of even look, and I know this doesn't relate directly to the question, but you know, I, I thought it was interesting how in Paul ends this section we're looking at, where he starts talking about filled with the Spirit, speaking whether in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart. It just seems very, it just kind of seems like this really weird change of thought. And I don't know, again, I don't know how you address that in the sermon, but as I was reading it now, it, it, I was thinking about that. Um, the, the spirit of God wants me to have joy. Mm-hmm. God wants me to have peace. And then if I'm a person that says, well, how come I'm not full of the spirit of God with joy and peace? Well, then is it possible because I'm full of negativity? Mm-hmm. Is my thoughts negative? You know, so when, when I come and if I don't feel like singing and I don't feel like speaking with this truth and I don't feel like, well, okay, is because there's no room for the spirit of God because I'm allowing everything else to fill me. 
in those yeah. moments. Um, so, so that's, that's what I mean. But, you know, we have to look at, okay, well, if God wants me to have this, what's, what am I already full of? You know, it's no different than it sounds kind of silly, but it's no different when a parent looks at their kid. You know, I caught Libby yesterday before, you know, I was making supper and she's chowing on, on cheese balls <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, don't be eating so much, you know, cause my, you're not going to eat supper. Well, it you depends. Know, what but, were you making ooh. for supper? Doesn't matter. Because because cheese balls might be a good choice depending on if, if are you making like tuna casserole? They like tuna casserole. Oh, I hate tuna so, casserole, so I would eat cheese balls. Yeah. And see, and that's that's and but that's a perfect example of how a Christian <laughs> looks at what God wants and they're like, Well, I don't like that God, so I'm gonna yeah. eat worldly Okay, that's cheese fine. Balls. Oh, that but good. it is good, but I don't think God ever wants me to eat tuna casserole. <laughs> God made it. No, no. I think no, I'm tuna. Ca- sure God made tuna. Tu- he made tuna, and he I'll made, eat tuna. I'll made. eat it raw. But I don't think. I think casserole yeah. is a product of the fall. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fairly fairly confident that casseroles are a product of the it's like fall. Like a Midwest thing. Yeah. yeah no. Well, you Love also don't like good casserole. You also don't like gravy, and yeah, I don't like gravy. I don't know if I can trust the guy that don't eat biscuits and gravy. Well, that's okay because I'm not sure I can trust you that does that don't drink coffee. So we've all got our things. I mean. I don't confess to you because you're sarcastic. It's you don't like gravy. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair but enough. But anyways, that's that's yeah. where I would say yeah. you know no, you can't be good. full of if you're just dwelling mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. something the opposite and 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 gorging yourself on the opposite, yeah. which we do. Yeah, and and I think there's a reason he puts that there, right? And we made this analogy, I think, actually, the both of the last two weeks to be filled with the Spirit, right, means that you are not. Um, it, it's this contrast to being drunk. Right, because you're not drunk, which this thing that controls you, this this um, presence that you invite into your body and into your life, that then dictates the way you act and behave and function. Instead, we're to do this with the Holy Spirit, but we have to have that much of the Holy Spirit that it noticeably um, that, that our behavior is noticeably different because He is dwelling in us, and and then yeah, He does. He's like, so you can't be you can't be grouchy all the time and be filled with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Because the Holy Spirit isn't grouchy, mm-hmm. right? You can't be negative about every little thing and, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. But even more so, I think what most people do is they harbor sin, and you're like, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, I'm harboring sin. Um, and they might view it as a respectable, innocent kind of sin. Um, and, and I know that there have been courses of my life where, where I've done the same thing, right? Like, like I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to forgive these people over here. I'm going to say, oh, Holy Spirit, control me, while at the same time I'm actively disobeying what God would say in another area. Like, Holy Spirit, I want you to be powerful in my life, but you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to be okay with watching certain things and, and putting certain things in front of my eyes that I know God would say no to, right? Um, I think that, that that's, a, that's a thing I have had to deal with, um, you know. David just doesn't care. Well, that's why <laughs> I, I care. Well, I'm not. See, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not. kidding. I, here, it's my cheese balls. Let me, let, me, <laughs> let me clarify here. I'm not somebody else's Holy Spirit. And, and we have Christian freedom to engage in a lot of things. So I'm not going to suggest mm-hmm. that something is bad for someone else, right? If it's, if it's not clearly sure. marked as sin in Scripture, I'm not calling it sin. Right. I'm saying for me, right, like, well, you know what? I'm not going to watch porn, 
Mm-hmm. Right? I won't do that. Right? But but you know what? Yeah, I mean indiscriminate sex in a movie that I'm watching, mm-hmm. eh, whatever. Right. Like but I know that's not okay. Like for me, I'm not I'm not putting on anybody, but for me, I know yeah. that's not okay. And you know what? Netflix um or Hulu or whatever, it'll tell me It'll tell me why something has the rating it has when I turn it on. So I know going into the movie mm-hmm. that there's sex and nudity in this movie. You need Tyler as your so, like holy spirit. Right. So so for me like like why why do I allow that, right? And and then and then why do I wake up in the morning and say, "Oh, Holy Spirit, I want more of you today. Yeah. I want I want you to be powerful in my life. And he's like, you know what? You didn't really want me powerful in your life last night when you were watching TV. Yeah. So I think, like, like David said, you got to be emptied of everything else before you can be full of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the ongoing struggle of ruthlessly cutting sin out of our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a reason it's ruthless, right? Because you can't be gentle with it. Mm-hmm. You can't make excuses for it and, and explain it away. You've got to... Mm-hmm. You got to get it out. So whenever we sit down to watch a movie with Tyler, if it's PG-13, he's like, first question is, what's it rated? And I'll be like, PG-13. And he'll say, for what? Because <laughs> he wants to know. And he what wants am to I going to? He wants to make sure it's appropriate. Yeah, good for so him. So I have like, you know, websites that you can go to. Yeah. That, like the parent Kids in mind. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so I just think it's so funny that he polices by the way by the way that's a really good website if you've got if you've got kids Mm -hmm. that's a really Mm -hmm. good website to kind of give you an understanding of what's rated what and why it's rated that way and and the things to be on the lookout for you know that's it's a really good resource to have (laughs) so you just need tyler to come watch you know what seriously (laughs) honestly so i mean it's just it's a silly example it's a silly example but it's like what is that about like what yeah what is that like Mm -hmm. you you know why why do i just dismiss this yeah i'm like like if this was happening in my congregation i would be having a conversation with somebody yeah right like why am i enjoying it on tv yeah um I, I don't know, like, but I, I think it's it's the ruthlessly cutting sin out of our lives that has to happen for the Holy Spirit to continue to mm-hmm. be more and more powerful in our lives. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we're starting to get short on time, so let's switch gears to yeah. the second half of um, Ephesians five and talk about submission, everybody's favorite subject. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta love a sermon when you have to kind of like lay out ground rules at the beginning <laughs> to everyone like, okay, I know this is going to sting and let's, you know, get into it or whatever. Yeah. But hopefully, so, hopefully that went okay. But, yes, but. I think so because it is, it is, can be a, a sensitive sub- subject because I think a lot of people in authority have handled it incorrectly. And so I think people can kind of bristle without, you know what I yeah. mean? So um, what is it? Okay. So we're kind of talking about like, freedom and independence a little Mm -hmm. bit so why is it so darn hard for us to submit to submit well i mean the same reason it was hard for satan Mm -hmm. and the same reason it was hard for adam and eve and cain and for humanity all through history right because we all want to be in charge um and and in fact something we didn't talk about sunday not because it wasn't in my notes just time sake right mm-hmm. you know we go back to this is this is genesis yes. 3 curse right like like um 
You know, sometimes it, it the it's like at the end of a, a, a game when you're playing a game like sports or whatever, you're like, you want to leave it all on the field. Mm-hmm. My intention is everything that I think is important enough to put in my notes, I want to leave it all. I want, I want to get it all in there on a Sunday. It just doesn't always work. But this is one of those things that I wish in retrospect that I had made time for because it's important for us to understand why this is such an issue in marriage. God said from the beginning, because of the fall is a curse. Look, husbands, wives, you're going to have this issue. This is going to be a thing, and it is going to hound you. Yes, in Christ, it can be redeemed, and you can grow in this, and you can thrive, but part of the fallen nature of the world and relationships is this. This is going to now exist, this tension between husbands and wives and this power struggle and this dissatisfaction with submission. Okay, so let's kind of get into some of the practical parts of it then. So say there's a couple listening or or one person of the couple listening who says, you know, we don't do this great. Um, I'm constantly frustrated or whatever, so it's hard to respect or he doesn't do the things to earn the respect, you know, the Mm -hmm. things that we kind of hear typically. Um, What would you, how would you tell them to, to start? For myself, what I started to do, you know, when Amy, Amy and I first uh, got married, I remember we went to, um, Oh, was the five love language guy, Gary Chapman, Gary Chapman. We went to a marriage conference of his and, and, um, side note, I've got like six Gary Chapman, five love language books in my closet. I am happy. I have them to give people that that have that. So if anybody's listening and they're like, huh, I'm curious about that. I got some, just ask me, I'll give you one. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's, and so you have your workbook and you're doing your stuff and we were probably married. We don't even think we were married a year yet. So, you know, that's supposed to be the honeymoon time, you know, the good stuff. And we weren't like fighting and stuff, <laughs> the but good stuff. Hashtag uh, the good, the stuff. good stuff. Um, <laughs> it deserves a hashtag. I love it when we hashtag, but anyways, um, <laughs> I remember our workbooks and, and for some reason I remember how I saw this or maybe we were talking about it, but Amy at some point wrote down this, I need to stop blaming David for all the problems in our marriage. And I remember I got very offended, like what? Like, you know, cause I'm thinking to myself, why are you blaming me? You know, like you get that very defensive, you yeah. know, like, well, first you're like, what problems? Well, that too. I was like, yeah, it's the good stuff. Uh, but I remember really wrestling with that at first. Um, but as I've, you know, matured and stuff like that, and then especially even doing celebrate recovery, uh, it comes down to this. It's accepting the fact that her behavior does not, should not determine my behavior. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter if she, you know, or if I am not fulfilling my side of it, mm-hmm. I, I, I have no ability to say, well, that gives me the right to not fulfill my side. Um, and that was kind of the thing, right? He's kind of, you know, looking for blame. She, at the beginning of our marriage, was looking at me that I was the problem. And her statement was actually saying, like, I need to look at me. Not, but I took def- offense of it. Um, but that's the truth of it is, is in marriage, I think the place to start is to stop paying so much attention to what your spouse is doing and start paying attention to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it goes back to what I'm thinking about. If I'm always looking to be negative towards how I think she's not living up to her end, I'm going to free myself from paying attention to how I'm not living up to mine. Sure. Yeah. Cause my thoughts are all full of, well, so, you should have done this. You should have done this. If you would have done it this way. So you're saying that someone just needs to go first. Pretty much, yeah. And I think I think that's really the key, right? If you if you look at it this way, um, you married somebody that you like, mm-hmm. right? That you that you believe in, 
that you that you believe um, is good. Um, like you 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 did that on purpose, right? And so even when you're frustrated or mad or hurt or whatever it is, it's like you know what? That's a person I picked because of these things. And so you have to have the the assumption deep down in you somewhere that that we can be this together. So if somebody will just move first, mm-hmm. right? The idea that, you know what? If I take a step, odds are mm-hmm. this person that I love enough to to choose to spend my life with that I committed to that I, re- you know, they'll take a step with me. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's kind of that leap of faith kind of thing that says I believe they are who I thought they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trying that way. You look at it like, like think about a car that merges on to the interstate. Um, you hope that the car that's in the lane that you need to be in, you hope they're going to get over and they're going to make space for you just to get on. If they don't, then you either have to speed up or slow down. You have to make the effort to, to get on how you need to get on. And I, it, that's kind of the way it is. It's like, I might hope that my spouse will go first. I might hope that they'll make the effort, that they'll do something. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, I, I, I then it becomes on me to, to either mm-hmm. speed up or slow down or, or do whatever I have to do to get merged. And, and somebody has to go first. Mm-hmm. It's also being willing to let go of the if onlys and what ifs. And so what I mean by that is, you know, again, in my marriage, I've seen there's been times maybe you maybe I'll see how somebody else treats their their spouse or their husband. And I'll sit there and be like, man, if only. So now I'm daydreaming or I'm, I'm processing like this is what I want. You know, and mm-hmm. I get it. Sometimes we can look at other couples and desire, you know, like, oh, I wish our relationship was like that. But we start living in this if onlys. Like if you only you did this, it'd be better. Or if only. And the what ifs are the daydreams of, you know, well, what if I would have chose somebody different or. What if, you know, I finally did decide not to be with you? And as soon as you start living in those dream worlds, <laughs> you're not going to fix anything mm-hmm. because you're going to, you're going to escape to the, if onlys or what ifs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you, you quit, you're creating for yourself a, a mindset of pleasure. Like I'm going to retreat to here when it doesn't go my way. I'm going to daydream sooner or later. You're going to act out on daydreams. Um, yeah. you're either going to actively give your attention to somebody else, or you're going to start treating your spouse different mm-hmm. because your affections mm-hmm. aren't there. So that's the thing. It, yeah. Yeah. So do you know, do you know what yours and Amy's love language is? Um, I know I definitely know mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which is hilarious because it's, it doesn't even register on Amy's at all. Well, does she know um, it's your love language? Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. She knows. Okay, we'll find um, out hers, and you take the first step, well, David. And that's the thing with hers. We 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 know <laughs> we know we've talked about it. She, the thing that's funny about it is, is she'll say she doesn't even know what hers is. Okay, so what, she's what a is mixture. yours? She's a mixture. So that's I've picked that's up. what she's I'm a asking. Mixture. Mine is uh, I know mine's touch. Okay, so it, sure. which is funny because, huh? So you do want hugs? No, I don't. From my <gasps> yes. wife, yes. But we want to love you too. Okay. Um, Matt wants to love on you. Yeah, he wants to love on me. I was going to say it, but I... Uh, no, so mine, dude, is, mine is I touch. so agape love you, man. That's awesome. Do it from a distance. <laughs> from a distance. Um, isn't that a song? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, 
Uh, this is where I know Amy, Amy and I. Amy Shauna and I, is so sad. She's she's gonna listen to this later. She's gonna be like, "Oh, I can't believe I missed this one." <laughs> Again, Amy's is that doesn't even register on hers. Uh-huh. Like, it, and it's funny because it's caused tension in our in our marriage sure. a lot because you know it's that's my love language. Uh-huh. But then, of course, is hers acts of service? See, it's a mixture. Because like, I feel she, like she is someone who does that acts of service and so i feel like if it's something you do to show you know what i mean usually that's what you want in return right typically or, or it Not could always. be it could be that's just a thing i've learned that this is what i do and mm-hmm. and yeah. i i mean i assume that you guys have taken the assessments and you've mm-hmm. gone through the trainings and, and read the books and whatever so it's possible that she's just mm-hmm. bilingual she she very much is i mean that's what i was saying mm-hmm. I, as we've grown in this and, and embraced it more as I have, mm-hmm. I see how she responds to words of encouragement or how she responds to mm-hmm. time. You know, like her demeanor does change quite a bit if we purposely go and spend time together. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I'll see how, again, that manifests in her mood yeah. and in her attitude. Absolutely. You know, that's why I'm saying she definitely is a mixture because yeah. there's never been one that it's like, this is the this one that's is really area. making yeah. her feel. You can see that a lot of different things do. So. What about yeah. you and Carrie, Matt? Um, I'm a, I'm a quality time person. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I, I think that just is, is for me, um, that Carrie, Carrie is, I, I think again, most women seem to be a mixture. Um, but, but Carrie, Carrie, I think for, for a lot of, of, of the way to focus with her is, is words of affirmation. Um, and I think, uh, but going past just words, but, but even just affirming behavior, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, so not just saying these things, but demonstrating that I believe them to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think words of affirmation, sometimes we get a little bit confused as we think, Oh, I just say the right thing. But you know, it's, it's demonstrating that my words have weight because I really truly right. believe them. Yeah. But so I had a counselor, um, I still have a counselor, but, but had a counselor at one point that, that suggested, um, that I read the book cherish by Gary Thomas. Um, and so if there's somebody that's like, you know, they're intrigued by this words of affirmation thing, read Chapman. That's great. Chapman's an easy, quick read. Mm-hmm. Cherish is a little bit more in depth, but it's this idea of what does it truly mean to cherish? And it's for men and women. What does it mean to cherish our spouse? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And how does that play out? And um, Yeah, who doesn't want to be cherished? That's, that's the point, right? And, and that sometimes we withhold cherishing without even knowing that we're doing it. Sure. Um, and so I think it's worth a read for, for people that want to dig deep in here. Gary Thomas is also the one that wrote Sacred Marriage, which posits the idea that what if God doesn't... What if your marriage, ordained by God, isn't necessarily meant to make you happy but it's meant to make you holy. Mm, um, yep. and, and in that, there is a sharpening that happens. And, you know, sharpening indicates friction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you and your spouse are, in fact, sharpening each other, there will be friction. And mm-hmm. um, what if that's actually something God wants to do through your yeah. marriage? Uh, because that should be the safe place to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Another good marriage book is um, You and Me Forever, the Francis Chan it's a Francis and Lisa Chan okay. book, yeah. but that, less on the practical kind of things yeah. and more on like, hey, I think the general thrust is if you're on mission together, uh, you know, like the, that's a whole different thing where yeah. it gives you a lot less time to fight yeah. and, you know, yeah, do the I, things that we do. So, so funny. So Scott and I 
our both of our love language is um, receiving gifts, <laughs> which is so funny. That is interesting. <laughs> so, but that's totally how I show. My I mean, life. I get that you like, are I a take, gift giver. I take pride in like being a good gift giver. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I get that, right? I, I yes. do. Um, can I just say one other yes. thing about this? Like, we're talking about love languages and cherish and um, being on a mission together and all of that, but I, I don't think it can be lost. Um, the order of which Paul is laying these things out, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, um, no longer acting as that you've been made new. You don't act as the Gentiles do, right? You you imitate God, which means you imitate Jesus. How do you do that? Well, by walking in the Spirit, right? Which means you aren't filled with other things, but you give yourself completely over to the Spirit. And it's in that vein that he says, now, this is what it looks like in marriage, mm-hmm. right? Like, like the idea of the, this that he's describing, this is, the, this is what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit in marriage. It means we submit to each other. Um, it means that there is a headship and a leadership. It means that, that wives are to submit to husbands um, as unto the Lord and that husbands are supposed to lead and love their wives in this total unconditional, I would die for you and give myself up for you kind of way. Like, like all of that, is what it means to walk in the spirit in your marriage. So I think the way that he lays it out in this progression is necessary to understand because this isn't just wake up one day and decide I'm going to do better, right? This is, I'm going to give myself over to the Holy spirit and be transformed into doing better. Mm -hmm. Um, This isn't a pull myself up by my own bootstraps and just get it. Sure. Sure. One, one last question for you. Um, just because I think that we have a lot of singles in our mm-hmm. congregation too. Um, so what what does Paul have for, even though he's speaking directly to, to wives and husbands, um, what can someone that finds themselves in a place where they're single, whether it's from losing a spouse or um, from being divorced, like what can they glean from this? I mean, here, here's the thing. What they can glean from this is that Paul's not talking to them. I mean, to be clear, right? He's talking to, hey, in sure. a marriage, this so is what no- it looks but like. There's nothing in here for. I, I think. I think the idea of we are to submit, right? Sure. Uh, we're all submitting to the Lord, mm-hmm. um, but but this is and just like he he's in a minute. He's going to talk to children and parents, right? Mm-hmm. And in context, that's for parents, sure. and it's for children. Um, children. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't learn some principles. Mm-hmm. But I think if we want to talk about what single people can learn from Paul, there are better places to land. And sure. like, like I look at, at the Why letter he the letter he writes to the church in Corinth, the the first uh, first letter, First Corinthians, mm-hmm. talks about singleness, mm-hmm. um, and and basically lays this out that single is better, right? Like like single takes a call, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's something that God puts on you, but single is better. He says, I wish you were like I am. And he's single. Like he is unencumbered by this human relationship so that he can devote himself fully to God. He's like, this is, I wish you all were this way with like, like I am, because think about what we could do for the kingdom if we didn't have family, human relationships that we had to contend with. Um, and, And so I think if you're single, Yes, you you still have to submit. We're always submitting to authority, um, and, and we're doing it in a way that honors God. And he'll speak more directly to that when he gets to servants and masters and what that mutual submission looks like. Mm-hmm. But but the reality is single doesn't suck. 
right? Single is good. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's actually to be lauded in scripture that when you find yourself single, don't be in a rush to get remarried. Mm -hmm. Don't be in a rush to re-engage in a relationship. Make sure that's what God's calling you to, because if God is calling you to singleness and you jump in a relationship, that's burdensome, right? And it's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. Like God can redeem it and, and is, is full of grace, but it can be difficult. But if God's calling you to singleness and you live there, mm -hmm. then he can do some pretty incredible things in and through you for the sake of the kingdom. Sure. And, and so I, I think that's, that's a value there. But, um, and I don't, I don't think the fact that this doesn't speak to single people, mm -hmm. this, this 11 verses, you know, doesn't speak to single people is, is that they don't matter to Paul. I think he's just saying, look, here's the deal in marriage. Mm -hmm. This is how you walk in the spirit in your families. This is how you walk in the spirit in these servant master relationships. This is how you walk in the spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think in every, he's just, he's just trying to lay out for what does this look like in your everyday life? Um, so where are we going this week? Children. Children, parents, and and again, this master servant, which we'll have to dig into what that means exactly sure. um, a little bit. But this idea of, okay, so we talked about walking in the spirit in your marriage. How do you walk in the spirit in these other common relationships, mm -hmm. right? In, in parent-child, in... Um, so we're, we're in six... Yeah, we'll look at the first nine verses. Nine. Okay. Yep. yep. Gosh, we are really... Getting close to the end of this book. We have four weeks left, four weeks to get through chapter six, um, and we will slow down a bit after this this first week um, because then we'll start talking for three. the last three weeks. We'll really be digging into this. How do you walk in the spirit with regards to this spiritual battle that everybody faces? And that'll take some, that'll that'll take some, some digging into a little bit more um, thoroughly. Um, so... Yeah. Good deal. Thanks for listening.